Hey folks, welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, Charles Goldman, and Jeffrey Weiss here, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, and to bring us all into the new year with hope and determination to keep working for positive change. Uh, Jeffrey and Charles and I are launching the Fallon Farm's first annual 100% Good News edition. All right, thanks to our uh, sponsors, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, so hey, Charles, Jeffrey, um, you know, um, we've got, we got a lot to talk about today. There is, in fact, a lot of good news out there. Um, before we get to that, though, I want to give a quick shout-out to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our bumper music and to individual listeners like you who participate in our monthly pledge program. Contact me if you want more information about that, and we couldn't do it without you. Thanks. Say, hey, so all right, um, <laughs> I don't know how you feel about this, Jeffrey, Charles, but I want to start the good news of, off with um, a discussion about uh, panda bears. Uh, yes, panda bears are on the increase. They are recovering in the wild. They are not just at uh, zoos in Los Angeles and whatnot. Uh, over the past decade, they've seen a 17% increase in the panda population. And, uh, you know, you think, well, why, why are there only panda bears in China? Why, why don't we have any here in Iowa? Well, they're, they eat bamboo. You, do you want to guess what percentage of their diet is bamboo? 95%. Oh, very good. That was nice. Good guess, Charles. 98%. 98%. And what else do they eat? I, I, I actually was going to go with 100%. 98%. And then they uh, eat some, some, some chocolate, I think. I don't know. <laughs> dark chocolate. Everybody's got, yeah, dark chocolate. Only dark, dark chocolate. chocolate. That's right. Yep. Yeah, dark chocolate. So anyway, they eat 90%, and that, that only grows in like three provinces in, in central China. So like Bamboo or dark chocolate? Bamboo. No, the, no, the dark chocolate. So anyway, uh, yeah, they, they've, they've increased. Um, they've, the population's grown by 17%. This is, a, this is good news at a time when so much of the, the, uh, the species on our planet are, are struggling with survival. So hopefully uh, that kind of commitment that led to, you know, the increase in pandas can also um, lead to increases in population elsewhere. I, I will make it clear, they're not, they're, they're not on the, uh, they're, they're, there's still a minimal population. There's like 1,800 of them in the wild. That's a huge increase from what it was, but it's still kind of, you know, still kind of touch and go. But anyway, pandas, anyway. And no, Jeffrey, if in case you're wondering, we do not eat panda bears, okay? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charles, okay, you're a vegan. You wouldn't eat a panda bear even no. if uh, someone paid you. And I guess the other good news is that they're sending another pair of pandas back to the National Zoo. Yeah. Well, that was part of the right. diplomacy yeah, in the most recent meeting but yeah. between I mean, uh, President Biden and Xi. Well, you know, China is still tripling its nuclear arsenal, but at least we're getting two panda bears. <laughs> <laughs> well, but on the other hand, the pandas in Washington would be like hostages. So How so? Well, it would, it would keep them from nuking oh. D.C. Because <laughs> they wouldn't want to kill the pandas. <laughs> All right, back to good news. <laughs> All right, back to good news. Well, well Jeffrey to keep I us on target here. I guess that's true. Yeah, so okay, people so might consider the nuking of D.C. good news. <laughs> <laughs> 
to get rid of the deep state. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Charles, we can't keep this guy in line, Jeffrey. <laughs> Very dark today. <laughs> so anyway, other good news, if I can distract you a little bit here. Sure. Uh, community Power Initiative in New Orleans. You know, of course, New Orleans hit really hard by Katrina and then Hurricane Ida, what, 14 years later? On the same day, in fact. And, uh, and so, you know, there are efforts to increase the reliability and sustainability of an alternative power system. And there's one church, uh, it's a big church, um, I forget the name of it now, but it, uh, the pastor there is Antoine Barriere, and um, they've got 460 solar panels now on the uh, church's roof, and they're generating more than enough energy to power the whole church. It's a mega church. It's 4,000, you know, mostly black parishioners, and it's in a poor part of New Orleans, and that, those are the you know areas that were left high and dry after the after the hurricanes. I mean, some of these places were out of power for ten days, and that's tough when you're dealing with August heat and humidity. So, the fact that they're developing these uh, this system is, I think, pretty cool. Well, I, I think it's it, again, it's part of a trend we're seeing, which is that um, unlike the infamous removal of the uh, solar panels from the White House by Reagan, uh, by yeah, Teflon. Ronnie. Um, yes, now we're going the other direction. And as you've pointed out before, um, the panels are becoming, without, subsidi without being subsidized, highly competitive in terms of energy generation. Right. But, you know, the problem is going to be where we're going to get the rare earth metals to continue to make them at this level. Right. And I think that's the that's question a big deal. of the future. That's a real big deal. Yeah. yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, moving on to other good news. Uh, Rubai. France, um, it's, a, it's a town, well, 100,000 people, I think it's a little town in some sense. It's up by the Belgian border, actually, it's not far from Lille, where I spent four days years ago, long story there. But um, the uh, one guy, uh, Alexandre Garcin, he um, was disgusted with the litter problem in Roubaix, and so he ran for the city council, got elected, and his whole focus to the problem is, you know, he doesn't want to be just constantly cleaning up litter, you know, you finish cleaning up litter and then there's more litter to clean up so his goal was to produce less and it's been very successful in a small way this has been like a nine-year initiative now and so um you know there are about 800 participants in this town of uh 100,000 who participate it's like uh, about 1.8 percent of the population obviously they've got a ways to go but i mean taking a look at, at france more broadly um you know i, I mean They've they've made a you know they they've got um they're they're banning supermarkets from throwing away unsold food, uh, they prevent uh, clothing companies can no longer destroy unsold goods, all buildings are required to have water fountains so that people aren't inclined to use bottled water. These are all good things, you know. And um, I mean we're we're I mean we're looking at it and thinking okay, um, maybe that's sort of thing that we could replicate here in some of our cities and towns. Yeah. Yep. I mean, this is not high-technology solutions. No, this it's is, not. Yeah. And it's, again, getting to the problem. Produce less waste instead of continue to clean up litter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And the cities that are doing away with plastic bags is an obvious one, too. I was recently in Belize, and the bags look plastic, but they were biodegradable. Well, wait, so, hang, I mean, hang, hang, on, hang on one second. Yeah. Did, Jeff, did you fly there? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> There's Charles again, always bringing the conversation yeah. down, you yeah. know? Yeah. To, to get to San Pedro, <laughs> it would either be flying or swimming, at least in the case of the little island off of Belize. But yeah, <laughs> it's a long way to swim. I was just going to say, instead of doing Naiad, they would do Wise. 
<laughs> but you know, there's, 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 there. I mean, France. There's good stuff happening everywhere. But France, more broadly. I mean, look at Paris, um, where uh, the uh, number of uh, driving, uh, the amount of driving, has declined 45 percent since the early 1990s. Uh, public transport in Paris during the same time is up 45. Uh, let's see, 30 percent. And then uh, bicycle use in Paris. Um, has increased a thousand percent since the 1990s. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's lots of good stuff happening, and um, you know, and Rubai is just a great example of um, one guy getting elected mayor or not mayor on the city council, and then pushing for these changes. Uh, again, they got a ways to go, but uh, good news. All right, uh, and Jeffrey, you probably heard of this one, and we've talked about it briefly on this show before. But another piece of good news is uh, what happened in the Netherlands. So uh, it was discovered that the uh, Dutch government supports uh, fossil fuels, subsidizes the industry with over 50 billion a year. And that ticked off a lot of uh, climate activists and people concerned about the climate change. And so, let's see, about a year and a half ago, they started uh, blocking a major highway, the A12. And um, yeah, there were a few people there, they were arrested. Two months later, the group came back, came back the next month and the next month. And by November last year, they'd grown to 150 people. Sounds like a lot, but but wait, there's more. <laughs> so, um, you know, they uh, the Dutch police, uh, and this is some, sometimes this happens, right, Jeff? The, uh, the 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 powers that be overreact and cause they, they and they end up creating more resistance. And so they did this. They they um they held early morning raids at the homes of six suspected organizers, and um, and that just that ticked off people. It ticked off people a lot. It ticked off people so much that 40 other nonprofit groups joined Extinction Rebellion Netherlands to participate in the next round of blockades. And so there was a big one this past January, a year ago, and uh, they, uh, the, the, um, they occupied a tunnel, and then it continued to grow. By March, 3,000 people were blocking the highway, 7,000 in May. Uh, the police started using water cannons. Um, and uh, that kind of ticked off a whole other subset of, um, of, uh, of the population, churches. 400 churches came out in support of the uh, protesters. And so by September, just a few months ago, the blockade grew to between 10 and 25,000 people. And there were 2,400 arrested. And it wasn't just a monthly event anymore. At this point, it was a daily event. And the police kept, um, you know, upping the ante on their end. They got bigger water cannons. <laughs> Apparently, they got them from Belgium and Germany. Because I guess you can always go to Germany for a bigger weapon, right? <laughs> anyway, so um, what really got me was um, was the uh, the escalation that involved 180 musicians showing up to perform Dies Irae, which means Day of Wrath. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard this tune, but uh, this is... This is uh, 180 musicians performing uh, on uh, uh, blocking a highway in the Netherlands. Here we go. We gaan vandaag geschiedenis schrijven. Give it up. I mean, this is as, 
that's as good of a performance as any symphony performance you're going to find. They were they were amazing. So what happened? Well, the police confiscated some of their instruments. <laughs> <laughs> so they came back next week without their instruments, but went to, did an air performance of it. Um, and so this, I mean, at this point, even though a lot of the public was like, okay, we don't like being inconvenienced by this highway being blocked, their empathy is with the movement. And the Dutch parliament announces it's going to schedule phasing out the uh, subsidies. And the activists say, okay, Protests are on hold until you take a vote. And when the vote came on October 10th, it passed. I don't know, to me, that's really good news about just how powerful uh, action can be. Of course, it was ignored by most of the uh, mainstream media, which um, brings me to my, my next point. <laughs> the uh, the uh, lasting impact of, um, of nonviolent action. You, you all know Paul, Paul and Mark Engler, mm -hmm. Des Moines natives who... Mm -hmm. um, who write, well, who wrote, uh, this is an uprising, among other things, and they write regularly. They wrote a column called Think the Me Too, Think the Me Too Movement Didn't Work? Think again. And uh, they critique a column by New York Times columnist um, uh, David Leonhard, who wrote this fall, quote, the failure of progressive movements. <laughs> <laughs> and he, bl he, he blasts <laughs> Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, the Me Too Movement. He says, quote, none of these three movements have come close to achieving their ambitions. And, you know, so as Mark and Paul point out, yeah, there, there's all kinds of things that were successful. I mean, Occupy, and I was very involved with that. Um, they pushed a whole range of um, city and state level taxes on millionaires. Um, they pushed for responsible banking ordinances that actually passed, that were enacted, protections for homeowners. And um, they also, you know, kind of shifted the presidential campaign to be. Remember, Obama suddenly started talking about wealth uh, inequality in the, in the 1%. And, of course, BLM, you know, look at all the criminal justice reforms that have come out of that. Yeah. And, and me, too. I mean, they're, they're now 25... As well as many that languished. Oh, sure, there's always yeah. going to be that, you right. know? But, you know... Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, sure, there's all, always that. But, but, you know, to downplay the significance of these movements, I mean, that's, that's to say, like, the civil rights movement had no impact on the civil rights act or the voting act in the 60s, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, no, and, and Black Lives Matter changed professional sports overnight. Hmm. I mean, yeah. in, in not just the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, et cetera, but also the number of police forces like Denver, Colorado, for example, that send um, social workers instead of armed police hmm. um, for domestic disturbances, et cetera. I mean, we're already seeing a lot of data that that de-escalation in policing is something that all the police forces should embrace, Des Moines. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and maybe good news, maybe that will be coming to Des Moines and other places because it's, it's showing success. And frankly, the Black Lives Matter movement keeps police officers safer because it keeps them responding to the kind of calls that they're trained to respond to. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, not all, you know, social workers are, are good for uh, responding to a lot of calls that demand social workers. I mean, pretty simple. Yeah. So. Oh, hey, well, so I got I got one more thing. OK, one more thing. And this is about war. It's about the honey war, which most of you probably haven't heard of because it was a war between Iowa and Missouri. And this is probably a good segue into uh, the next segment with you, Jeffrey, because I know you'll be talking mostly about. Good news from the international front. But the honey war, I'll say back in 1839, 
there, was, there was this border conflict between Iowa and Missouri because there was a strip of nine and a half miles on the southern border that both states claimed. And so um, the governor of uh, Missouri sent tax collectors up to Iowa saying, you know, hey, you guys got to pay up. You're part of Missouri. And they, uh, they were run off with pitchforks. Um, that's, uh, in Iowa, that's our weapon of choice. <laughs> the pitchfork, right? And so um, uh, they, on their way back to Missouri, they found three trees that had beehives in them. And so they cut them down, and they collected the honey. They so said, if we're not going to get tax money from these rogues, we're gonna, at least going to get some honey in lieu of taxes. Personally, as a beekeeper, I have no idea how they managed that without getting their heads stung you know, to pieces. But So um, this gets worse, actually, because the uh, Missouri governor was uh, ticked off at the lack of payment. So he sent armed forces to the border. And in response, the Iowa governor sent armed forces to the border. Uh, oh, and then um, <laughs> it got worse because the, uh, the, uh, some of the Iowa pitchfork wielders kidnapped a sheriff from, I think, Clark County, Missouri, put him in the Muscatine uh, jail. <laughs> and so this was getting kind of heated, right? And you can see where this could lead to a, a major, you know, con you know, conflict, right? Well, the two guys decided, hey, you know what? Let's just take this to the courts and settle it diplomatically. Otherwise, you probably would have known more about the honey war because it could have got real ugly. Yeah, the Civil War would have started even before it did. Yeah, that's right. It would have been started on the Iowa-Missouri front anyway, and it would have been started over honey. So anyway, the good news here, two good news. One, no blood was spilled, only honey. Uh, and the other good news is diplomacy works. Try it sooner rather than later. Hey, that's my list, folks. Uh, could be a long list, but we've got to run to a short break. Uh, and again, we are Charles Goldman, Jeffrey Wise, and Ed Fallon. Uh, we love panda bears. And... Uh, <laughs> Right? We love panda bears, guys, right? Sure. Okay. And we'll be back in a minute um, with uh, more conversation here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to all of our sponsors and partners, including Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. Catholic Peace Ministry focuses on nuclear disarmament, 
the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Thanks also to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westerman and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, Jeffrey, so um, we're going to switch to you here now and talk about um, good news from around the world. I think you want to start off with a, uh, about the, 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 the rise in favorable conditions for women globally. Yeah, um, one of the things that um, I try to spend a little time on is, is global health um, in, in a class, international relations that I teach in. The increase in life expectancy around the world is uh, human beings are healthier than ever before in all of human history. We're living longer than ever before. So when you think about the 8 billion people who are living in the world, um, more than 5 billion, about 5.5 billion reside in what are called middle-income countries. Mm -hmm. um, and even from, you know, when I was in college, um, the early 90s, et cetera, and then grad school in the mid-90s, the so many of the improvements around the world in health. I mean, if somebody would have told me when I was going to school that Costa Rica, uh, Uruguay, Chile, um, some countries in South America would, let's say, outlive the life expectancy of people in the United States, you know, I would have told them they were crazy or that so what is more it? women would be in higher education than men in Iran and in the United States. So what is the, you know, what, what is the life expectancy in the U.S. these days? Um, it's 76 Point seven, um, but men are about seventy-three point eight, and women are over eighty. So, um, so you know, women live women live there. about seven years longer than men in the U.S. Yeah. And and how, how does that compare to the rest of the world? Well, um, in the overwhelming majority of countries around the world, women do live longer than men. There's only a, a handful of countries where men live longer, um, but uh, you know the overall trend in terms of good news um, is. You know, when you focus on girls and women, um, uh, you know, a key indicator in the development of a country is is girls and women. And, and women, not only in terms of getting access to education, but especially the decisions to make with reproduction, um, power so, over, over that decision. Um, and, and that's been, you know, a good news story so around the world. How does the women's education is starting to equal that of, of boys and men. How does Afghanistan, though, and the Taliban fit into this and some of the repressive uh, countries? They're outliers. That's how they well, fit into it. But, but, I mean, we've got other countries in the Arabian Peninsula that don't allow women to drive. They're outliers. How many are there? Are there other? Are there, are there... There's, you're talking about probably 10 to 20 countries that are dramatic outliers because when you start looking at Asia in particular, that's what's interesting with, with so many of these trends um, is the dramatic advances in Asia and in particular in China and India, um, you know, create so much of the good news in terms of the lower fertility rate within those countries. I mean, China is below two replacement rate, which is huge. Japan as well. Yeah, Japan as well. Um, you know, and of course, even India's fertility rate has has decreased substantially the last few decades. And, you know, a, a large portion of that is, like I said, people tend to jump to the question of abortion or not, but really it's giving girls and women the choice of reproduction or not. And where they have that choice, especially in countries that are not so patriarchal, um, they, they tend to make the right choice for themselves and for their societies and for their countries. How does this relate to Charles's theory that God is a woman? 
<laughs> well, I, I, I would let I would let the good doctor <laughs> speak for himself there. Well, I'm uh, you know I'm very hopeful that God is a woman. Really, and I'm particularly hopeful because it would be such a um, you know smash in the face of re- of the male re- religious fundamentalists of all types in our country that they got up there and God was a you know gay woman of color. <laughs> Boy, it, it, a whole brand new source of good news. Yeah, that's right. So how, how, how does that explain that the Bible is written mostly by men? Well, it, it is, it's undoubtedly written mostly by men. Right. And I don't think there's anything about uh, the, the, the two testaments that would suggest that women had a lot of input into it. Right. Um, you know, because the nature of the God they depict is a fairly typical male God, vindictive, angry you know, um, not not the loving God that they claim it to be, uh, especially in the Old Testament. The Old Testament God's very vindictive. Right. Um, so, so, so men were writing this book to uh, well, to justify their because, position to tell women what to do out of ignorance that God was uh, a woman, or just uh, no, out because of... it's a, it's a it's a document of social control. Okay. You know, and so it justifies men's position as being the hegemony of men. But you know, beyond that, I think. You know, one of the things that's interesting about life expectancy is that there are numerous sort of broad contributors to life expectancy. One which I, I think Jeffrey's getting to is the fact that maternal mortality was a huge factor in high levels of, of homo sapien mortality going back to the very beginning. And so the first thing that happens I mean, is 6,000 years ago. More than 6,000 years ago. <laughs> when the earth was created. When the earth was created. Yeah. That's add, right. add about 194,000 to that. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was, it, so maternal mortality, which is controlled, as Jeffrey says, by better economic achievement for women, choosing fertility at a time that is appropriate, um, better nutrition during pregnancy. All the things that actually are not part and parcel of what happens in the United States. Our, our perinatal care is mediocre at best, and mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it, it, it's actually horrible considering well, the wealth well, of this country. Well, we, we've gone backwards. That's the, so well, I know this is a good news show. Right. Globally, no, no. things are improving. Globally, things have improved. Globally, things have improved. We've, we've gone and the second thing yeah. that improves Dramatically. You know, uh, population health is population measures of sanitation as well as addressing things like clean air, Mm, yeah. Clean water, in particular. Mm-hmm. Well, clean air. We've got we've got a lot of the world beat. I mean, look at the conditions in in some Indian cities, Chinese cities. Right. But know, but uh, here again, terrible. the trend is toward the air is cleaner. Yeah. You know, uh, compared with decades ago. So public health measures, and then you know the third element of it obviously is advancement of medical technology. But ironically, that's probably the least contributor mm-hmm. toward the extension of life mm-hmm. life expectancy. Um, on the downside, one of the reasons why specifically that men in the United States are seeing an abrupt decrease in their life expectancy. Now, if you read the Epic Times, as I do now every day, <laughs> of course you it's should. because of vaccines. The wonderful thing about reading the Epic Times is that there's two things that happened during COVID. One was COVID and the other was the vaccines. So the fact that... that some of the things like the cardiomyopathy and, and the deaths we're seeing among younger males, for the, for the most part only, not just here, but in the UK and some other places, could be equally explained by it's a side effect of the COVID vac- of the virus itself. 
mm. in the same way it's a side effect of the flu virus, which is you do see cardiomyopathies with, with adenoviruses and similar viruses. Yeah. Um, so, but they, of course, say it's because we took the vaccine. Right. Um, <laughs> but the other part of, of the decreasing male expectancy, life expectancy is suicide. Mm. And well. and drug overdoses, and, and that's more prevalent in our country than other countries. Oh yeah, and especially death by gun. Death I mean, by gun, right. especially say, in that younger male age. Absolutely, we're right. we're really good at shooting each other, but we're yeah. even better shooting ourselves. Is yeah. what because yeah, yeah. because most gun deaths are suicide. You know, but but yeah, but these trend. You know, the in, think about the rest of the world though. In terms of the of the good news is. I mean, the day I was born in the middle 60s, the United States was in the top probably five in life expectancy. And now we're anywhere between, I don't know, 35 and 55. You know, and, and you can look at that mm -hmm. in terms of how wow. so much of the rest of the world has caught up. I mean, China is now on the verge of being about equal to the United States in middle 70s in terms of life expectancy. Now, they have fertility rate under control for now. Um, so yeah, so I mean, th there's so many of these of these trends. I mean, the number of people who have moved into sort of the global middle class um, in the Chinas of the world, um, the Indias of the world, the Pakistan's, the Indonesia, right. etc. Um, you know, really the triumph of capitalism and socialism together. You know, but part of the problem with the, the welfare with, state. Part of the problem with, with uh, more more of the world's population moving into a middle class status is increased consumption, increased pollution. Increased draining of natural resources, increased carbon emissions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the so, ideology of the cancer. I know. I would. I would. Well, I would have well, gone okay. right Bro, there. Yeah. Growth yeah. for the sake of growth. That, you know, Actually, that's was, the challenge. That's yeah, the yeah, challenge. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to bring this up in my segment <laughs> of good news, which of course is going to be much shorter than the two of yours because well, well it's, it's not my orientation. But um, <laughs> it, it it is interesting what you say, Ed, because um, there was an excellent discussion I was listening to just a couple days ago. Um, among, you know, some uh, younger climate activists, some activists who are involved with um, trying to, to engage with, in particular, um, more fundamentalist Christian youth who show to have, in spite of some of the beliefs that go along with Christian fundamentalism, pretty much agree with the majority of the country at this point <coughs> that climate change is real and yep. climate change is a danger. And the approach they're taking is not to be a chide, like you're just being, right? <laughs> Which is telling people, although I agree with you, that you should be thinking about consuming less. But, but to point out that consuming more does not bring with it any more happiness, any more contentment. Right. It brings with it, in fact, more loneliness. Sure. And that a world of the future in which we could both be making people happier, which would make people live longer, making them less isolated, which would also make them live longer, which would also help reduce people's ill health through obesity and, and things that are self, in many ways, you know, created by your own choices. Not all obesity is by your choice, but a lot of it is the sure. diet we're presented sure. with, the ease and the cheapness of things yeah. that are unhealthy. The subsidized diet. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, to really appeal to people to look forward to a better life that's not sparser, mm -hmm. but would be happier. So, Jeffrey, you, you also uh, talked about the decline in violence globally. Yeah. That interested violence. me. I mean, yeah, you know, we, we hear about yeah. Israel, Gaza. We yeah. hear about Ukraine. We hear about Congo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many places in which violence is yeah, just I mean, running I mean, rampant right if now. If you can imagine if CNN let off the news with, in our news tonight, out of the 194 countries of the United Nations, 188 of them are at peace. 
tonight. I mean, you know, so if it bleeds, it leads. So people are used to bad news about the world. Um, Hans Rosling did these lectures around the world about these dramatic improvements in less war, better human health all over the world. And he found that chimpanzees do a better job um, getting these answers right on multiple choice questions than leading people who maybe work we, for countries who were who had PhDs, et cetera. Because, maybe we should elect them to Congress. Well, people's perspective of the world, people's perspective of the world is, you know, the way things are, people's perspective is far worse than things actually are because the, the design news, of yeah. corporate media is conflict, 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 redemption through... Well, Corporate you know, media, but buying we, Listerine. Oh, to but we talk about that too better. here. You Although know? it's interesting, you, you bring <laughs> up conflict, chimpanzees conflict. because, in yeah. fact, chimpanzees are pretty belligerent. Um, yeah. But well, they, they fit but, right in. Uh, you know, one of their their cousins, or whomever, however you want to relate. But the bonobos are a matriarchal society of primates, which reduces conflict by inter by basically uh, sexual interactions, yeah. but also by Wait. a community interaction. You know, and so you're saying sex makes them happy. Yeah, well, it's, it reduces. It's it's it, a conflict. It's, it's really actually good news huh. for the bonobos. I mean, right. this is a show of good news, and and, and yeah, the bonobos are, are 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 seem to be free and happy. So, yeah, we need to let the bonobos be. <laughs> but but it goes back to what Jeffrey's saying, which is that when you empower women within your society, right, they push a society in a different direction than men. A less violent one, and this this yeah. is this in part. Uh, explains what you were discussing, Jeffrey, about yeah. overall a decline in violence globally. Yeah, and keeping the bonobos away from Sunday services like that Charles was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what else you got? More, more, more good news, Jeffrey. Yeah, no. Um, well, you know, my, my youngest daughter happened to visit Costa Rica and Ireland. I mean, two countries that are governed very well. Um, Costa Rica is, is probably easily the most successful presidential republic in the world. Um, so given that we, we live in one of the least, you know, Costa Rica is, well, is, is really good news. Um, well, maybe Ireland, we can export the Electoral College to Costa Rica and finish that off. As we always say, three yeah. South American countries adopted the Electoral College and all of them dropped it a long time ago. But yeah. <laughs> good news. Yeah. But, you know, the other segment is, you know, you think about Rwanda, the uh, reconciliation after a genocide. You think about... South Africa, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. There's all these models out there of how nonviolence works, um, how peace and reconciliation is the way, and how it's worked in many, many respects. And, you know, what you were saying, Ed, I mean, these things don't get headlines. There isn't long documentaries right. and stories. We about, hear a lot more about Congo absolutely, than we do about Rwanda. About the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions and, and the major accomplishments of, of, of peace and nonviolence and how nonviolence works around the world better than political violence, uh, mm. according to the work of Erica Chenoweth, another, yeah. another person people can look up. Yeah. So, I mean, well, just a, a nation close by, Cuba. Cuba is often maligned as a country that uh, it shows just how failed communism is. Uh, and um, a, a country that is so, well, so repressive that people are fleeing it for the uh, sunny south of Florida. Uh, what do you, any, any thoughts on Cuba? Yeah, yeah, I, I just want to say that most, most Cuban refugees, according to the United States, um, come here for economic reasons, not to flee political repression. But whatever the case, um, Cuba sends more doctors overseas than the entire World Health Organization. 
Um, their life expectancy is equal to the United States, even though their per capita income, it's a poor country of what, probably 3,000, 4,000 per capita income. But a couple of years ago, the Cuban doctors were nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize because of taking the cruise ship uh, with, with those who had COVID. So, yeah, I mean, th there are countries that are proud to send doctors overseas, you know, rather than weapons. I mean, the Cubans like to say that. They like to say, you send weapons, we send doctors. So, you know, all countries could, could choose that kind of a model, you know, to, to, to um, I mean, we do some of that with the Peace Corps. In fact, mm -hmm. funny story, I had a good friend who went to the Peace Corps um, and ended up being at a country in Africa and writing up his summation of his experiences by talking about the wonderful work that the Cuban doctors were doing in that country of Gambia, which I'm sure was amusing to the people in the State Department who read it. But, um, you know, the limited travel I've been into, you know, South Africa, even I was just in Belize and I started talking about Cuban doctors and they said, hey, we got one right down the street that's a GP. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's a lot of these good news stories in the world and yeah, Cuba's far from a perfect place. They have a lot of problems, of course. Um, I had even mentioned Iran. I mean, Iran, after the revolution, had the most successful uh, national program to lower fertility rate. But a real problem spot for so many other reasons. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, good news, bad news. I mean, so many women who are uh, fighting against a religious theocracy in their country today in Iran... Mm. Um, they're wearing the hijabs in many cities and the religious police are to some extent leaving them alone, to some extent not. That's a good news, bad news story. Yeah. But, uh, you know, these women in the end will all be long gone, but these women in the end will, will get their freedom because they, they get their freedom everywhere else in the world over yeah. time. Hey, we got to run to a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to, with fear and trepidation, move on to Charles and see what he has to say about good news. Um, if we had a gong here, we'd probably gong him multiple times. But uh, let's see what happens again. Charles Goldman here with uh, Jeffrey Weiss and myself, Ed Fallon, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks again to our partners and sponsors, including Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford 
and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so uh, Charles Goldman with me here, as long with Jeffrey Weiss. Um, uh, and uh, Charles, you got any good news, or is it all just gloom and doom? No, I, I mean, I, I have two, two stories that I thought all right. would, would constitute good news. And, you know, one of them Ed already kind of knows about. So I'll start with that one. And that, of course, is that I couldn't be happier about the hum total humiliation of Bill Belichick. <laughs> so wait, wait, so, someone's humiliation is good news? Yes, because there isn't anybody more deserving of humiliation than Bill Belichick. Um, they, they, they looked pretty good last week uh, beating the Broncos. Yeah, well, it's the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, you know, one of the things, one of the things I've, 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 I've I, I really resent um, the way in American sports we uh, venerate people, you know, and in particular, I, I, I resent how they venerate coaches, you know, uh, nothing, nothing used to really make me angrier than Bobby Knight, the general. No, he's not. He's coaching a basketball team. And yes, he did coach, I believe, at one point at West Point. Doesn't make you a general. You know, it's this reference of other... It makes you an overpaid coach. Exactly. You know, and the, that these, they're so controlling. And the, you know, I guess as long as you're winning, nobody ever criticizes what you're doing. But the thing with Belichick, of course, is, is that he has only two goals. One is to get more wins than Don Shula, which increasingly is looking distant, unless right. some team with better players than those he drafted for the Patriots um, <laughs> you know, wants him as a coach. And the other is to prove that it wasn't Tom Brady, it was him. Well, I think that, 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 <laughs> that, any, you know, that, that ship has sailed. It's pretty clear that it was Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I hate saying that because football is truly a team game. It's a complex game. It's a violent yeah, game, it's too. It's a totally... Yeah, so, I don't, Jeffrey, I don't what do you have to it. say about that? We yeah. have violence increasing, decreasing in the world except on the... Uh, except on the yeah. football yeah. field. Exactly. Well, I mean, in all fairness, they've yeah. taken some steps to minimize the, the negative impacts of, on the players, but it's still still dangerous. Yeah, I mean... Very dangerous. Here, here again, I mean... Oh, we still have head injuries, you know? Well, we haven't... Yeah, we haven't really figured out the, the pathogenesis of CTE, of the, you know, the spongiform changes and the tau protein accumulation in, in people with repetitive head trauma. There you go, be the doctor talk again. Well, but, you know, in all fairness, it's seen in soccer. It's seen right. in hockey. It's not, you know, football's sure. not the only sport. But it's worse in football. Yeah. It, it appears to be. That the the low-level collisions, the, right. the just constant car crashes, you know, the linebackers, sure. the defensive linemen. And, and the reason, going back to Bill Belichick, besides the fact that he's a trumper. Um, a trumper? Yeah. <laughs> that I, I particularly despise Belichick is he never could bring himself to ever say anything about Brady's contribution. Really? To, yeah. I mean, in fact, after the game... After the, the goat? The goat, right. <laughs> after the game we watched together with your... Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, which was the comeback against Atlanta. Sure. Right? Not a word. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't say anything about Brady. Best game ever. Right. Yeah. So, so anyway, your, your good news is what? Well, the good, the good news is that Bill Belichick is done. Stick a fork in him. Right, okay. Stick a fork in him. And I don't think there's anybody at this point who's going to say, 
yes, of course, them t being together made them successful. But Bill Belichick, who never acknowledged that it was more Brady than him, is well, now he, been shown to be the case. He didn't want to acknowledge it because it was true. And yeah. you know, just just for just for an, uh, just for some information. Well, first of all, statistically, Ed, who do you think is the best quarterback in terms of multiple Super Bowl wins? Well, Brady. No, actually, Joe Montana is probably. In terms of wait, how do you figure that? Well, Montana's four and zero. Brady's six and three. Um, oh, okay. And Montana yeah. actually had a higher um, completion percentage and a higher QBR. One reason being that Montana actually only threw 122 times in four games. Brady threw in nine games. How many times? Over a thousand. Almost 400. 400. Okay. Right. All right. Well, <laughs> which meant, of course, that the offense was basically running through him. All right. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, three Super Bowls and one one. Okay. Right. His QBR, 80. Brady's for 9, 95. Um, Bradshaw, you know, kind of football royalty. You are totally he, wonking the uh, well, sports I, I numbers here. Four, four and oh. Bradshaw was 4 Jeffrey and just oh. fell asleep. Yeah. Tell me when to wake him. Okay. So, last one. Bradshaw, 4 and oh. He threw in four games, four wins, 84 times. Okay. Okay. So, it was Brady. Right. Know. Yeah. And and I don't you know I'd be happy to see Bill Belichick never coach again and or else go somewhere else and take Malcolm Butler with him <laughs> so he could play this time instead of being benched and you know the other Dr. Goldman believes he was benched because he was sleeping with Belichick's girlfriend oh <laughs> <laughs> and in other good news other good news <laughs> other good news is that in something that I I feel very strongly about, um, which is people who go out and get people who are convicted of capital crimes off of death rows and out of prison. Um, so, you know, I contribute to a nonprofit known as uh, Innocence Project. And there are others that, that also do this work. Um, and they hit their 250th person who was exonerated. Um, and, you know, my feeling about capital punishment is it has no place in our society for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And the most practical reason is the most pragmatic. We've executed innocent people. Yeah. And we've executed... Quite a few, actually. That's correct. Well, I mean, and it was proven after the fact. Right. Which is a horrible time to discover that you're innocent. And, you know, the six people were exonerated through the project this year. Um, again, making up to bringing it up to 250. And, you know, there are things about the way criminal justice is done in the United States which makes this happen. You know, and, and, and one of the problems is, is that people have a sense of definitiveness about proceeding, judicial proceedings in the United States as they relate to capital crimes that is unwarranted. And, and we're not going to get into the issue, although obviously that's part of the factor, is people of color are in a different justice system. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the, the percentage of the uh, of executions that involve uh, you know, usually a, you know, a black American, a black male for that matter, is uh, off the charts compared to the percentage of their, their percentage of the well, population. Well, the other determinant is not, just, is, not just, is not skin color. Poverty. It's poverty. Yeah. Sure. Right. Yeah. But, I mean— you know, for instance, and, and the problem is, is that many people's view of criminal justice is law and order. You know, kind of neat, packaged, you know, with one kind of legal twist that ends up making the case one way or the other. But, you know, 
for instance, one of the biggest problems is that people think that eyewitness testimony or confessions are associated with a high level of veracity of people being guilty. In fact, people confess solely to stop the interrogation. Yeah. And people confess because, because they're tricked it, into it. Sure, yeah, yeah, all you the know? time. And I, it, weirdly, they won't even, they become convinced that they actually did it at some point. Yeah. I've, um, I, I've seen uh, videotapes of, of confession conversations that last an hour, and it, it's basically like a form of torture. Well, oftentimes it's, it's even worse than that. I mean, yeah. it's not just an hour, it's hours and hours. Sure, yes. You true. know, the other issues are um, poor counsel. You know, in one of the cases, the counsel was basically doing drugs the entire time. Really? Didn't, yeah, didn't bother to, two other witnesses undercut the testimony of the testifying detective that he, that the person who was ultimately convicted had told him he did it. Two other policemen said no, that he never said that. But it, that was never brought up at the trial. So ineffective counsel. And then, um, you know, forensic malpractice, which is, you know, there's been a number of, of medical examiners who ultimately were found out to have just falsified. And what would, what, what would their motivation for falsifying Because they see themselves, well, because in many places, the medical examiners are part of the police department itself. Uh, they are not independent of the police department. So they're part of the culture. Mm you know, to close the case. Mm. And in some sense, close the case is more important than get justice. The problem well, is, is close yeah. the case, you end up with people either sure. executed or on death row. And, you know, the average time... Or falsely time, convicted. Yeah, falsely yeah, convicted. Yeah. You, you have people, the average time is they're 20 plus years in prison before, they before they're exonerated. And what yeah. usually exonerates them is, is DNA. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to ask Charles... Isn't it true that when the Innocence Project was founded, it was a number of graduate students in, in Illinois, in, right? Yeah, yeah, who did research to help exonerate a few people off of death row? I mean, well, I think Innocence Project the itself was was mostly a bunch of, uh, of young lawyers out of John Jay okay. in New York, mm -hmm. and actually one of them. And I don't hold it against the mm -hmm. Instance Project, you know, was part of OJ's defense team. <laughs> it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Right. No, no, but Jeffrey said there was a group of uh, graduate students yeah. in Illinois mm -hmm. who yeah. I think uh, helped exonerate a few Illinois. Six, I believe it was six cases that yeah. they, they studied and found that there was, there was incontrovertible evidence yeah. that they were innocent and they compelled. The governor at the time was it Ryan, maybe? Mm -hmm. um, who to to who undoubtedly was a Democrat who ended up in jail at some point. Well, well, since LA, was, come on, every 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 Illinois governor ends up in jail. Job. That's just part of the job. Right. It's part of the job. <laughs> but no, they they were found to be uh, innocent, and uh, and it led to led to changes in criminal justice policy as well. And I think mm -hmm. that's the good news that you're sharing is that um, that we have seen some real progress toward a more humane insane criminal justice policy. At the same time, we're seeing the rise of private prisons. And we don't, I mean, the goal of a private prison is to fill the place. You right. Know, maximize your profits by having plenty of people But the private bars. prison fills the place not by increasing capital crime convictions. It, it fills the place with low-level drug charges, uh, you know, people who have low-level sure. drug charges who shouldn't be in prison in the, I know. at all. Yeah, right. You know, because that's what happened, like, in California, because the, the, the union for the prison guards were, were ones who were pushing against criminal reform that would have kept a lot of these low-level, mm -hmm. you know, and that was uh, a, possession that, charges out of it. And that wasn't with a private prison. That was with the, that was with the, the state, state system. Yeah. That's correct. Right. But it's, yeah, it's even worse with the corporations that are in the prison sector now. Yeah. 
But, you know, it, it's just a part of the problem with criminal justice is it's an easy political soundbite to say, I'm tough on crime. You know, uh, I'm for the death penalty, you know. And you, you, I, you see that all the time, and I've, I've right, which I've which run course, against that. In right, my and own the death penalty work. has no correlation with reducing violent crime right. because the death penalty implies that you're making a conscious decision to kill somebody else. But most of the most murders occur in an emotional or an unexpected setting. They don't have time to think about. I might go to prison for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, yeah, yeah it doesn't stop. Well, and globally, more good news, um, you know, most countries around the world do not practice the death penalty. They do not allow their government to kill their citizens mm-hmm. um, in law or in fact. So, once again, the United States is a bit of an outlier there, although the trend in the United States has been that executions are going down, and that's a good thing, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, do, do you really want to give a government the authority to kill its citizens? I mean... A, a handful of countries still do, but most do not. How many countries are still uh, still practice the death penalty? Well, I, you know? I, no? I, I, I don't, don't know how many, but no, I know a lot a of them are ones group. you wouldn't want to be named in the same sentence with. No. You know, Saudi Arabia and Iran and places like that. Yeah, and yeah. in a few years ago, you know, in terms of the United States application of it, especially um, the death penalty given to children, I mean, we were in that company that, that Charles is talking about. So mm-hmm. we're, we're moving out of that slowly. Any other good news, Charles? Well, I think you you were asking whether there's any personal good news. Sure. Okay. So, I mean, you know, Dr. Goldman, my brother. Your brother, Dr. Goldman. I I have to call him Dr. Goldman. The other day. (laughs) Even when you call him on the phone or or greet him uh, at Thanksgiving dinner? I do. I I call him Dr. Goldman. Dr. Goldman, can you pass the mashed potatoes? (laughs) (laughs) Um... So you know, obviously, the publication of his book, and um, and he's, it, I think he's, the book is out there on a, on a topic that's very cogent to today, which is Reconstruction. You know, and because there's a lot of talk about Jim Crow and and you know the history of, as with most things we discuss in the mass media, a completely ahistorical talk about mm-hmm. Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it it as they point out the if you don't use language that someone who graduated eighth grade or below can understand, then you're talking over people's heads in the United States. That doesn't mean everybody Ouch. is. Yeah, but that's how, that is how mediocre our education system is. And so people get taught uh-huh. things that are easy yeah. and quick. And so um, a book like his, which is really going in depth about the role of Union troops, how they came, even though they didn't come to our version of, of you know, notions of equality between the races, they nevertheless understood there was something intrinsically wrong following slavery mm. to not give the people coming out of slavery the full rights that they would do. Mm. Even, and ironically, even though, you know, what we see in our time, which is, you know, everyone here thinks now thinks it's a zero-sum game. If somebody else gets a, a, a foot up, that means I lose. And that's uh, Dr. Stephen Goldman's book, and the name of it is again, do you remember? One More one more War to Fight. One More War to Fight, yeah. All right. A- any personal good news, Jeffrey? Boy, I guess I would say wonderful family, um, wife and three daughters. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I guess all of us did a wonderful job choosing our parents before we were born. Um, I usually say that to my students. Uh, key to success is make sure you, before you're born, you choose the right parents and the right zip code. Good job. Um, <laughs> well done, Jeffrey. So, yeah, I mean, blessed with a with a wonderful family. Well, yeah, for me, I've got I, you know, I've got two kids. Um, one of them, a wonderful wife, and uh, and three kids. That's, that's been exciting to see the grandkids. Uh, Come along and grow. I have a daughter who is, uh, you know, she's 36, and I'm pretty, pretty uh, passionately committed, you know, so far to remaining childless. And, uh, I, you know, uh, earlier this year I had on this program, I forget the gentleman's name, but he is from Portland, Oregon, and he is with the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, which I learned about from, we had a couple, uh, couple young couples over one day for dinner and uh, learned, about, uh, learned about that group from them. So I looked it up. Found about this. Found this guy who founded it, and he came on my program. So, um, you know, my daughter's in town the other day, and she says, "Dad, you know, I finally got around to listening to your program about the voluntary human extinction movement." And uh, yeah, I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd become a member. I said, "Oh, that's good." She said, "But they, they wouldn't take my application." I says, "Why not?" She whips out an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. She's having a baby. Then she whips out a second one. She's having twins. <laughs> I, I give her an A-plus for delivery. That was brilliant. Anyway, yeah. and so um, even though I am concerned about global population, I'm also excited to be a grandfather. So, well, congratulations. You're welcome. Anyway, hey, we got to take a short break, folks. When we come back, a little bit of conversation about some of the good news on the food front. Back with you in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks again to all of our sponsors, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. Gateway is Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, so you know me. I'm a big foodie. And on the food front, um, yeah, there's some good news. Um, this may not sound like good news at first, but... Um, um, since 1982, the number of U.S. farms has continued to actually since since the early 1900s, the number of, of U.S. farms has declined. But the big news is, in more recent years, that decline has been slower. Um, so there were what two million farms in the U.S. in 2022, 
and that's down from 2.2 million in 2007. That does not sound like good news, except for the decline is smaller. And what's going along with that is the fact that uh, more and more uh, people are getting into farming uh, as for direct marketing. They're growing foods that are that are uh, that are consumable by local populations, and and the number of those farms is just um, growing at an incredible rate. And right now, uh, farm sales from farm to market operators has increased to a 10.7 billion. That's a 35 35% increase. Uh, from the year previously, that's huge, and I think. Um, and we, we, I would assume that farm-to-market proliferation is going to reduce the monoculture of growing only beans uh, and corn for industrial uses. You know, I don't think so. Really, I, I think I think I think eventually it will. Okay. Eventually it will, but I, I still don't think it's made a big enough dent. Now, for example, that's a good question because uh, in the realm of organics. I mean, organic produce was for a while just kind of, okay, it didn't bother the big corporations that were focused on monoculture crops and whatnot mm -hmm. um, and food processing. But once it started gaining a lot of traction and taking a bigger and bigger bite out of the uh, food budget, yeah, then they started getting serious about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that came out of that was what sounds on the surface to be good, the organic food standards. Um, well, you know, those... <laughs> Those kind of got. Uh, we could have a whole separate conversation about that. But, but for myself, as somebody, I mean, Kathy and I raise food organically. We don't give a darn about the organic food standards because they're 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 not they're not. We we do a lot better. I mean, we don't use chemicals. But even if we did, we'd be doing better, <laughs> for well, the most part. Yeah, I than, noticed you turn the water off in the toilet. Well, you shouldn't be using the toilet. You should go, go use the compost pile like, like all my other guests. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you're, I know you're a vegan, Charles. Mm. I know, Jeffrey, you like to eat panda bears and no. things. No, no, okay, not panda bears. but No, okay. But, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're all try to eat well. But, you know, there's still, there's still this, this huge pressure from Wall Street. Uh, and the big food conglomerates to eat badly. And uh, so it's encouraging to me to see that this, this huge, it's 35% increase in the n number of, uh, the amount of the dollar value that is accruing to farm-to-market farm -to operations. And yeah, that will eventually get a pushback from the, uh, from the, um, the big industries. You're right, it will. Although, I mean, there's a huge premium to selling organic foods and, and to selling varied. Yes, you know, niche niche foods, you know, and, but again, I don't know the economics of, of a farm at this point. Maybe it's better just to use a mechanized growing of one product over and over again, you know, from fence post to fence post and, and then well, try to force the government to subsidize it so that uh, ethanol will, yeah. I think pay. fence post to fence post is never a great idea, Earl mm -hmm. Butts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never a good idea. It'd be interesting to find out how in terms of farm to Amazon, or I mean, I don't mean farm to Amazon. Farm to Amazon. Farm to Amazon. No, what, what I mean, mean? Is, no, what I mean is farm to online sales. Oh, like, like, I see. Like, you know, to the extent that that online has affected such things. And I don't know the answer to that, especially with fresher food being shipped directly to to consumers around the world. You know, I, I don't know if that would have any, well, but there might be farms the, that have a niche market. There's a problem with what you just said, fresh food sure. shipped around the world. 
usually by the time it gets around the world, it's not fresh anymore. And that's why I think... Yeah. And that's why exploring Twinkies makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Twinkies yeah. are a problem for a number of reasons. But uh, yeah, it's, we should export them to uh, the nearest landfill, I suppose. But um, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's a growing movement and it's very encouraging. And to me, that's, um, that's great news. Yeah. So buy local. Buy local. Buy organic to the extent that you can, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't eat panda bears. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or any endangered species for that matter. No spotted owl consumption. Mm -hmm. Right. Or no. rabbits that you raise. Rabbits are okay. <laughs> we got to run to the end of the program here, folks. Uh, thanks for joining us today. It's been Ed Fallon with you and Jeffrey Wise and Dr. Charles Goldman. The other Dr. Goldman. The other Dr. And, uh, and uh, yeah, thanks to our production team, including uh, Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, and Kathy Burns. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our music. We'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.